boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Binge Boys is the podcast you're listening to where Hal Rudnick and Lon Harris talk about streaming shows and sometimes other things. Lon, what's going on with your bearded face? It's the podcast you're listening to right now, unless you're one of those people who listens to multiple podcasts at the same time. Oh. You know, like those, I listen to podcasts double speed so I can listen to twice as many podcasts and become twice as smart. You know, those, like those rise and grind kind of dudes. Oh yeah. Just multitasking with everything they do. Just on the grind all the time. So I would imagine you could also do that like one podcast in each ear. So you've got binge boys going on in the left ear and then, you know, what's going on with your stonks or whatever in your right ear. There you go. Or your true crime or your. (laughs) That's not very productive. No, that's not very productive. Those people are dead. They can't make you any money. You're not getting any passive income from them. But you're just stimulating the brain. All right, sure. Yeah, if you just live for the hustle. I mean, because I'll I'll sit there with a a podcast on, the television on, and the computer. All my screens. Yes. You know? All of my screens, sounds, just, oh, uh, media, just... Just flood me with media. Just just waterboard me with media. What <laughs> just media board me? That's it's like you you get tied down, uh there, there's a towel put over your head, but it's see-through. You can see through it's like a chamois. Oh. So you can see through it and you can still watch things. Like Chiwetel Ejiofor in that scene from Infinite. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I I honestly feel like we could do like six hours on Infinite. Like I feel like we could for the next month. We don't need anything else to talk about. I could pick apart Infinite. It's so sad, too, that Jason Manzukis is in it, and so he may contractually not be able to do it on How Did This Get Made. Oh. But it's the most How Did This Get Made movie of the whole year. Oh, yeah. It's it's right there. It is, it it's is right there. incredible. Anyway, we'll get to that. Yes. But I did love <laughs> Chiwetel Ejiofor has himself waterboarded all day to, because he wants to see the face of God. <laughs> there it is. Insists uh, that God show oh, his face. Yes, that conversation is coming oh, up. So excited. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Infinite on Paramount Plus. If you want to pause and go watch it right now and come back. <laughs> no, don't watch. How can I? I can't recommend that you watch it. <laughs> oh, that's just a taste of uh, Lon's it's, take. It's on bananas. Infinite. But before we talk about any of the programs we watch, we will talk about the news. Did it, did it, did it, did it, did it, Lon Harris. And the news. So Loki debuted on a Wednesday instead of a Friday. Yes. But we did not know if this was a permanent thing or if this was just something Disney Plus has tried out. It turns out, according to both Disney and Samba TV, an independent analytics company, it appears that Loki had the biggest Disney Plus premiere to date. Wow. And that they're now going forward with all new Disney Plus series. They're all going to start debuting on Wednesdays instead of Fridays. So this has some natural benefits. I mean, they're still going to release movies on Friday. So they've given themselves more of the week. Like if they want to release a TV show and a movie in the same week, they don't have to be on the same day. Mm. But it also gets them out of Netflix's way. Because Netflix puts these whole shows up on Friday, Mm -hmm. you know, because binging. Oh, I know. I know binging. (laughs) I'm a binge boy. 
this allows, you know, if, if you've got a new episode of a Disney Plus show coming up and it's coming out the same week as Stranger Things, Disney Plus gets a little ahead of the game and then people can spend the weekend devouring the new Netflix show. Yeah, because uh, Netflix backs it up in a dump truck and they're like, all right, dump the show, <laughs> the whole show. Although there's been a lot of talk. We'll see. Like, I feel like the success everyone else is having with the weekly release model, mm-hmm. I'd be interested to see if Netflix is going to permanently keep all binging all the time. I can see the, the benefits of that because, you know, you, you string out the news cycle of the show and that freaking mayor of Easttown, it's like, or, so, or right. whatever. Mayor is a great example. Hacks, another recent example yes. of shows that have built word of mouth over the course of their runtime. And now Loki, we're seeing it again, where Loki is dominating the pop culture conversation Mm -hmm. multiple weeks in a row now because it's unfolding slowly like a TV show, whereas a good recent example would be something like Shadow and Bone, a hit for Netflix. We watched it. Lots of people watched it. But already basically vanished from the conversation. Yeah, more like Shadow and Gone. Yeah, like, until we get Shadow and Bone Season Mm 2, you're not going to hear that much about Shadow and Bone. Like, The Witcher. Like, people like The Witcher, but it's been forever since The Witcher was relevant because the last season came out years ago already. Mm Mm-hmm. All true, all true. So So I think there is something to be said for this more, you know, sort of gradual release like Disney Plus is doing. But anyway... That's from now on. So all your new Disney Plus series, including Monsters at Work, all the new stuff that's coming up on the horizon, they're all going to be Wednesday premieres. What's Monsters at Work? It's the first Pixar Disney Plus original show. It's basically, you know how at the end of Monsters, Inc., yes. they're they're not going to scare kids anymore. They're going to reformat their energy grid to be based on a child's laughter. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Monsters at Work is a workplace comedy series about that transition. With Billy Crystal and John Goodman? Billy Crystal, John Goodman, a whole Jennifer Tilly, a whole bunch of the original cast is coming back. But they're also introducing a, a lot of new characters. Ben Feldman from Mad Men, he's going to be one of the new characters. There's a bunch mm-hmm. of new voices as well. I believe Mindy Kaling is in there now. Sure. So that's coming soon. That's in a few weeks we're going to get uh, Monsters at oh, Work. Oh, we might be talking about it right here on Binge Boys. I bet you we will, because I'm going to at least watch the first few episodes. There it is. Jennifer Lopez is going to star in the... J-Lo, you know what? I don't even want to hear it. I'm going to even stop you right now, because the only thing... I I rarely do this, because, Lon, you are a pillar of the streaming news world, and I... I You do. You rarely interrupt me before I get to the news story. That's true. I know, but I am obsessed with J-Lo's dating life. Um, uh, 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 J-Lo and Ben, Benifer, uh, what what are they called? Batfleck? No, that's him playing Batman. You said it, Benifer. Benifer, but that wasn't that him and Jennifer Garner as well? <laughs> anyway, I was heartbroken when A-Rod and J-Lo broke up. You were heartbroken over A-Rod and J-Lo. You know J-Lo. what? I thought A-Rod had rehabbed his image from being um, a, like a disgraced steroid user in baseball and that's a whole nother can of worms because like, you know, so many people were doing it, but whatever. But then J-Lo, like two, you know, people of a certain age, they found each other, they seemed happy. I was living vicariously through them. And then it crumbled instantly. Cause- instantly, they were together for years. No, but it did not crumble instantly. It was a gradual crumbling over time like all marriages inevitably do. 
they weren't even married yet. They were engaged, and the engagement's off, yeah. and then it might be back on. But uh, it seems like if both of your names are acronyms, you really should be able to figure this out. How rare is that in life when your name has been shortened by the culture, mm. and then you meet someone else whose name has been artificially shortened by the culture? Mm-hmm. That's so rare in life. When a J-Lo meets an A-Rod. I uh, I was just crestfallen, but now uh, this J-Lo Ben Affleck, she is living her best life. They're doing public PDAs. You know what? I think our Patreon should be all celebrity hookups and gossip, Lon. What do you think about that when we start our Patreon? I think that's my favorite Michael Bolton song is when a J-Rod loves, when an A-Rod loves a J-Lo. I think that's... <laughs> I'm far too excited about that nonsense. You're now, you're upset with Ben Affleck? No, I'm happy for them. They're picking up where they left off two decades ago or whatever, however long it was. I just want to see those poor struggling kids have a little bit of happiness in their life. I think all 90s couples should now have to get back together. This made people so happy. I think like we've got a full, like Jude Law and Sienna Miller, you guys hate each other now? Too bad. Brittany and Justin. You're, you're back together. Yeah, exact. No, that one. No, that, no, that's no. And especially K-Fed. after. She could get back with K-Fed. Yeah. Oh, get it. Get back with K-Fed. Yeah. Because after some of the revelations yeah. on the uh, Free Britney. Yeah, I don't. Right. I'm like, off. I'm off. Of the, I'm off of Jay Tim's at this point after the Britney docs. Yeah. After the he Britney doesn't come off very and, well in the Britney docs, folks. Yeah. He needs to spend time just being faithful to Jessica Biel and go yeah. from there. My favorite film festival, Brittany Docs. I go every year <laughs> to Montreal for Brittany Docs. What an event. Who knew you know? there were so many? <laughs> I did. Uh, so anyway, J-Lo. Yes. No longer with A-Rod, now with B-Fleck, uh, mm-hmm. starring in the sci-fi thriller Atlas for Netflix. This comes from Rampage director Brad Payton. He was the one who told... The Rock, where the big monkey was going to be. Yes. Uh, so here's the real setup for this. Okay. Jennifer Lopez, her character is Atlas. She is a woman in the near future. Okay. She has to defeat a rogue AI soldier that is determined to wipe out humanity, which is what all AI in every movie they all do. They all become obsessed with wiping out humanity. Oh, yeah. But the only way that she can stop this AI from wiping out humanity is to team up with another AI to save humanity. So it's like we gotta we oh. gotta get we gotta get this one. It's like a silence of the lambs. Like I'm gonna use that the Hannibal Lecter AI to help me catch the Buffalo Bill AI. Right. Or I'm gonna use the Terminator eight hundred to get the T one thousand. I don't know. To me it feels like uh, we keep making these movies where the bad guy is like a rogue piece of computer software. And yes. it's like, why? Computers are yeah, boring. Like, they just sit there. Like, you could write a movie where a human is the bad guy, and then they get to be a character. True, true. Instead of an algorithm. Boring, but uh, robotics and stuff, scary, because... Sure, but, like, we keep doing this, like, oh, we're going to cast, uh, you know, charismatic, dynamic villain James Spader, and he's going to voice this uh, this piece of software. It's like, what? He could be a person. He could be a monster. But Ultron is, like... It seems fairly indestructible and like smart, like knows everything. I mean, like, I'm not saying never have an AI be the bad guy, but like an AI is the bad guy like 90% of the time now. Oh, sure. Everything is Skynet. Just like we are. We've talked many times. Everything is X-Men. 
And I think there's the same postulate that everything is Skynet. At this point, is this really that scary? Like, does anybody feel like we're moments away from inventing artificially intelligent computers? Like, most of our shit barely works. Like, we're not even trying to invent AI. We're just trying to invent a car that won't just, like, collide with something if you take your eyes off the road. And it is not going well, folks. We are fucking that shit up (laughs) over and over again. And, like, that's way simpler than a machine that can think. That's just like, don't hit that guy. Proper sensors and brakes. Yeah, like the day we get don't run into that man right, I'll be like, I wonder if we could ever do something more advanced. But let's focus on that before it's like, oh, it can think and problem solve. I I absolutely agree with you, except there's one just startling, somewhat scary coincidence. You remember the Black Mirror episode with the mechanical robot dogs chasing that one guy? Sure. Those dogs are a thing. That that jumping. That's just tumble- that's a robot. Robots have been around for you know hundred years. Yeah. Like yes. that's not those dogs aren't thinking. They're just programming and they'll be like, if someone knocks you down, stand okay. back up. Well, Lon, that's not artificial intelligence. I am actively. You know, you have preppers for annihilation. Even a live dog isn't that intelligent. No, I am prepping. I am am a (laughs) prepper against that mechanical robot dog because that is some scary ass shit. And now they're here. They're real. That's just humans designing weapons. That's scary, but that's not AI. That's just like that's just a guy building a robot dog. It was a robot dog in the thing. And now there's a robot dog in real life, Lon. And they look exactly the same. Well, the Black Mirror episode, they'd already invented the robot dog before. The the Black Mirror episode didn't predict the existence of robot dogs. Well, the Black Mirror episode introduced the robot dog to me. To you. And now. To you. It introduced the robot dog concept to you personally. and now that robot dogs sniffs around my nightmares. That's not, they don't get credit for that. I'm not giving them like Star Trek, like they invented the tablet. Oh wait, Hal, is your dog barking? I'm gonna bring the, I'm gonna bring the folks in on this. Every single time we record this podcast, at some point in the middle, Hal's dog starts barking and has to go get it and bring it in to the room where he's recording. And And so now, Before we start the show, I'm in a very friendly, gentle way. (laughs) I say, hey, Hal, should you go get the dog before we start recording the podcast? And every time, folks, he gaslights me. He gaslights me. He makes me feel like I'm the crazy one. Why would my dog start barking? She's relaxed. She's in the back. We just went out for walkies and poopies. She's fine. And I end up feeling like the asshole, and then 10 minutes into the episode, the dog begins barking. So I'm just, now it's out there in the public. I don't have to feel, I don't have to feel victimized anymore. Let's, let's take care of the Millie situation. I'm sorry. I've manipulated you. Yeah. All these times. Mm Mm-hmm. You know what? I I have a good feeling that she's about to stop. Nope. There she is again. I'm in denial. I'm in denial. All right, I'm going to go get her, and uh, we'll do the rest of the show with Millie on my lap. Okay, we'll be right back. (laughs) And the Binge Boys are being joined by one good girl, Lon Harris. uh, Where were we? We'll move on. We were talking AI. Why is everything AI? I've had enough. Oh, those those robot dogs. Robot. Your your major concern is not intelligent machines it's just machines shaped like dogs no i I mean they will be intelligent and they'll they'll be able to hunt you down and open your door and 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 hurt you and and hurt hurt you bodily let's move on app 
Apple posted a teaser for The Shrink Next Door, how I sent it to you. Yes, I watched. I liked it. It's an original series debuting in November. Now, it's based on a podcast, a Wondery and Bloomberg Media podcast, and that podcast is based on a true story. So oh. This happened. Will Ferrell is playing a guy. He starts seeing a renowned psychiatrist to the stars. Mm-hmm. He's played by Paul Rudd. The, the psychiatrist slowly, gradually begins taking over it, the patient's life, even at one point, moving in to his house in the Hamptons with him Whoa. and even getting involved in his family business. Let me ask you a question. Was the podcast yes. on uh, Wondery, was that, uh, was that a fictionalized version of it like this is or was that like a true crime kind of? It was a true, like, here's yeah. a true story that happened about these real guys, and now they are making it into this scripted series. Like, if it wasn't real, mm-hmm. I would be like, this feels like a modern take on What About Bob? Oh, yeah. Like, that was my sense from the trailer. Apt. Is that it really It really feels like Paul Rudd is this gregarious-seeming guy. It, it's just with the roles reversed. Instead of it being the patient weasels his way into the doctor's life, it's the doctor weasels his way into the patient's right. life. It felt like that take on a therapist and patient relationship. Oh, yeah, totally. Uh, Paul Rudd doing a, uh, he's got a little bit of a New York Woody Allen kind of thing going in his voice there. And uh, Casey Wilson, I think I spotted, was... Yes, Casey Wilson is in there. It actually comes from, there's two, the two creatives behind it, uh, Michael Showalter, who, of course, you know from uh, The State, Call Me Doris, he did recently, uh, Wet Hot American Summer. Directed Big Sick. Directed The Big Sick. Uh, and Jesse Peretz, who did Juliet Naked and Our Idiot Brother, uh, mm. directed a bunch of episodes of Girls. So it's those two guys are directing. I feel a lot of times Apple Plus is the one network that has consistently underwhelmed a little bit when it comes to uh, offering. I have to say there are some very good, like everybody loves Ted Lasso. So you got to put that one out there. I've not watched Ted Lasso yet. I've been avoiding it because people love it so much and it. It bothers you know, me. I, I'm ashamed to admit it, but me too. I've not watched yeah. it yet. Not not watched Ted Lasso yet, but there are a bunch of Apple shows that I, uh, you know, really enjoyed. Uh, Servant was a was a recent example. Oh, is that the Shyamalan one. That's the Shyamalan one. I'm still on board for Lisey's story. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm watching that crazy banana stuff every week. I, I haven't watched the third episode yet. Uh, Mythic Quest, I thought was was good. That workplace mm-hmm. comedy at the video game company and Little America. I really liked that show too. So, like, I, I think there there is some good stuff happening on Apple TV Plus. Okay, it's uh, not a total loss. You know what? That's a that's a poll quote right there. Yeah, I was not a big morning show fan, but but other than that, you know yeah. what? The, the morning show, it's uh, you're watching big stars do glossy things. I don't know. This show uh, got me a little more pumped than a lot of trailers I've seen. The first uh, Feral Rudd reunion since the since the Anchorman days. You know, we're going back to a classic pairing. Nice. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Speaking of classic pairings, let's talk about another one. Of course, who else could I be speaking about? But Luke Evans and Josh Gad, they're reprising their live action Beauty and the Beast roles Mm -hmm. for a new musical prequel series for Disney Plus. They're, of course, Gaston and his little buddy LeFou in the live action Beauty and the Beast. This show is about Brianna Middleton, who's a new character. She's LeFou's stepsister, Tilly. She's going to go on a quest of her own, investigating some aspect of her past 
and Gaston and LeFou agree to go along with her. Of course, this is set before the events of Disney's Beauty and the Beast. So Gaston, ah. he is not yet plunged off of a cliff to his certain death. Spoilers. Uh, that's how Gaston dies at the end of Beauty and the Beast. He's, he's the bad guy. But the... Alan Menken, who wrote the music for both the original Disney cartoon and the live action film, he is going to write new music for the show. You know what? I'm not excited about this program. Well, there you go. That's it. <laughs> now, is that just... because is that because you don't like Beauty and the Beast at all? Is it because you don't like the live action version? I love, I love the uh, original animated version. The, the animated I've, version. I did not watch the live action version. I thought this one was terrible. This is mm. one of the ones I really did not like because it's just obviously not the right venue for this material. In the same mm -hmm. way that I thought the Lion King just doesn't work as live action. It's just like I didn't mind the Lion King. I oh, liked it. It's terrible. Oh no, it's no, just no, like, no, 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 I don't no. I liked it. I liked it. I don't want to see a realistic warthog doing this. That doesn't make any sense. A cartoon warthog can be expressive and funny and has personality. No, to quote the Lion King. You're undermining it. It's about the bare necessities, the No, that's that's bare that's necessities. No, how that's the clearly the jungle book. Anyway, I enjoyed the live action Lion King. I I believe you enjoyed the live action jungle book. You know, um, when that big snake. No, all right, slithered. all right. We're uh, we're just we're go we're gonna. I believe you're now thinking of the Jumanji films. I don't even think you're. I don't even think those are Disney. Those were those were Sony. Listen, produced. when Tom Cruise showed up in that mech suit. All right, nah, all right. You know what? We're just we're just gonna move on, folks. We're just moving on with the news. Mm -hmm. John Bernthal from The Walking Dead. From oh, that the, guy's in everything. The Angelina Jolie firefighter, but not standing near any fire movie that we watched recently. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> true or false, that guy's in everything. Hmm. He's in a lot of things. He's yeah. in, I would say, everything. He was the Punisher. You guys remember the Punisher. If you need a go, he's your... He's your go-to tough guy with a familiar face. He's also going to play, uh, he's he's one of the stars of the Sopranos prequel movie that's coming out. I like soon. that. He gave off a real Sopranos vibe, uh, his little part in Wolf of Wall Street. Yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> a very Jersey, a lot of Jersey spirit. There. Yeah. So anyway, he's going to star in a new series for Showtime that is a sequel to the 1980 Paul Schrader film, American Gigolo. You know how the kids love American Gigolo? Listen, the kids love American Gigolo, and I think America is just crazy for gigolos. Yeah, if you see your kid texting AG, now you know what that stands for, American Gigolo. Yep. Your kid's talking about American Gigolo. Uh, so this new show, it's going to be set 15 years after the original, so mid-90s, I'm presuming. Oh, now, okay. listen, I think to talk about this, we're going to have to spoil... The film American Gigolo. The Richard Gere classic. The 1980 Richard Gere film American Gigolo. So just if you have not watched and you're planning soon to watch American Gigolo, maybe fast forward the show. But in the film American Gigolo, he plays a male escort. Mm -hmm. He is accused of murder. He's wrongfully accused. He's framed for murdering one of his clients. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the film, he goes to prison. So this show will pick up once he's getting out of prison after 15 years, he returns to Los Angeles and tries to get back into the sex work business. Now, here are three names 
all of these people are also in this show. And I'm just going to throw Ooh. out these three supporting. These are not three names you expect to hear together. Ooh, I'm excited. Gretchen Maul. Yes. Rosie O'Donnell. Wayne Brady. Those three, those are Bernthal's co-stars in, wow. this, in this series. Man, Gretchen Maul. Uh, wait, oh, Rounders um, was her finest yes. hour, right? She is, she is in Rounders. That's, she was one of those celebrities where she had like a moment where everybody was like, she's the next thing. She's the it girl. You know, she's like oh, on yeah. every magazine oh, cover. did she play Betty Page in a movie She as did, well? in the notorious yeah. Betty Page, that yeah. HBO movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she is actually in the Lauren Hutton role from the film. She's oh, Michelle, gotcha. the woman that he's, that he's mm. in love with in the movie. Nice. And uh, well, where did Rosie O'Donnell show up recently? I Wow, I'm not even sure. Uh, gosh, dog it. Now I got to. As a, in a, in in a tweet from Donald Trump? That's, uh, aside from that, aside from uh, trading barbs with uh, 45. Oh, I know this much is true, that uh, the Mark Ruffalo, yes, HBO. Yes. Yeah, yes. when Mark Ruffalo plays twin brothers, yep. There it is, that's what she was Thank saying. you. So there you go, so that's your supporting cast. It's an interesting project. Obviously, the creators of the show must feel like they have a very strong story here that can, and I'm sure it stands on its own. I'm sure it's not... You don't have to know American Gigolo really well to get into it. But it's still like, at this point, we're mining IP that I feel like people don't care about. Like, Is Wayne Brady playing Wayne Brady? Uh, I don't know who Wayne Brady is playing. I don't know if they even said who Wayne Brady is. It'd be cool if he was playing himself, uh, just getting off uh, work on a... From whose line is it anyway? <laughs> uh, he's This is one of two shows, because he's also a voice in that Cuphead cartoon you know cuphead that that video game oh um vaguely familiar so cuphead is a video game they're making a netflix show out of it and wayne brady's going to be one of the voices in that as well are you a fan of uh wayne brady on let's make a deal i, I mean sure <laughs> uh i'm sure i like i i've never i don't think i've ever seen wayne brady's let's make a deal but i feel like i also have a pretty good sense of what it's all about in the AM, my wife likes to put on the CBS morning program. Mm-hmm. And then after that uh, comes on, let's make a deal with Wayne Brady. And then that rolls wow. right into The Price is Right with Drew Carey. So back to back. Those- Do you ever just think, like, maybe a day job? Maybe maybe something to fill these uh, afternoon hours? Do you ever, do you ever uh, no? I also liked Wayne Brady in, <laughs> in his appearance on the Chappelle he was like, show. I just you know, was rattling off the entire CBS daytime schedule. Oh yeah, and then um, well, what's and after then, that? Uh, and then I shut my phone off because it is time for the Young and the Restless. <laughs> yeah, it's like his guiding light's got to be coming up. Yeah, uh, classic Wayne Brady that uh, Chappelle show sketch. Oh. Oh, of course, Chef sure. Kiss. And it's amazing that his longevity, like he was already a cultural institution. Like that's what right? made that joke funny. Mm-hmm. And, you know, joking about like that, that stuff. And he's a game show host now. But in all seriousness, um, a just a five star musical improviser. One of the great. Oh, my God. Incre- incredible. In- incredible. Incre- incredibly fast on his feet. So good. It, it is so remarkable. Good. Yeah. That, that sounds interesting. You said that's HBO? Showtime. 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 Okay. I, I wonder, you know, if, if that show is going to be as good as uh, HBO's Hung. The competing male escort drama. Yes. Has it been that long since we've had a male escort show on TV? I mean, there's a what void. A there's a void in the marketplace. What a shame. We, we need a male prostitute. <laughs> yeah. Get me what some scripts. A, what is, okay. I, I don't know. I can't, I can't make heads or tails of this character. What is 
Um, I thought at first it was just a man who wanted to order a male prostitute. But then it was like, no, it's a producer and he wants projects about I want male projects. Uh, now, hold all my calls. I have to make a personal call. Hello, I'd like to order a male prostitute. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I get it. He wants to make a show about it because it's personal to yes. him. Now I understand. <laughs> it's about a very attractive Hollywood producer who's absolutely obsessed with ordering male but escorts. It's a two-way street, you know. These escorts are really falling for this dapper old agenda. Right. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, during this meeting where he's pitching they show about male escorts. Maybe there's a male escort on his lap even yes. during the meeting. And trust me, that that young man is catching feelings. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Great character. Listen for it again. The Hollywood producer who is obsessed with male escorts. <laughs> Only on Binge Boys. Final news story. We got one more. Robin Thede. Yes. Just learned how that's here. Pronounce her name. Mm-hmm. Robin Thede. And London Hughes, they're going to star in a reboot of Perfect Strangers for HBO Max. Thede also writing and producing the show. In this version, uh, the roommates are half-sisters, and they meet for the first time when they both inherit a small apartment over a yoga studio in Fort Greene, Brooklyn. We were talking a little bit about this. Uh, You were saying one's from New York, one's from London. So that's Right, Robin Thede from New York, London Hughes, British. British. Uh, Just don't let the name fool you, folks. She's really British. That's fun. And uh, I we, and uh, London Hughes, uh, you reminded me earlier that uh, we had seen her on that Nicolas Cage, The History of Swear Words show, just as a talking head. Right. She's, she's sort of very up and coming in the U.S. I, I'm presuming if we were from the U.K., we probably would. She's more of a presence, regular presence on TV. Yeah, I, I like this uh, potentially as uh, b- both likable. Uh, and as a potential culture shock, like, oh, I'm from England, I'm from New York, hilarity ensues, or wherever. But I do miss the the Bronson Pinchot character who's from just, you know, this made-up place called Mipos, and uh, it kind of had kind of this Andy Kaufman on Taxi kind of flair to it. I feel like that's what they're trying to purposefully get away from. Yeah. Like, I feel like you could do culture clash still, but the American laughing at another person's backward culture There's doesn't There's some xenophobia play. there. Yeah, and I, and I mean, like, listen, I love Perfect Strangers. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of the classic show. Very formative for me. I still think Bronson Pinchot and Marklin Baker are very funny guys who did a very good job on it. But even I get, if you go back and watch some of those shows, that a lot of the jokes are just, ha-ha, being foreign is funny. Like, the idea of people who don't Mm -hmm. do things the way Americans do them is funny. And thankfully, we've kind of started to move away from that in some of our comedy. But if you want something that scratches that itch, I would say, watch the Borat films. (laughs) Also, um, shout out to just one of my faves and the second season of The Leftovers, a an amazing season of television. The entirety of Leftover is very good. And uh, Mark Lynn Baker shows up as himself on The Leftovers, and that's pretty delightful, too. If you haven't watched The Leftovers, do yourself a favor. First season, a little bit of a slog. Second season, oh, you will be rewarded tenfold. There you go. All right, that's it for the new... Is it? Oh, is it going to be called Perfect Strangers? Uh, I mean, I'm presuming. Why Why reboot Perfect Strangers if you're not going to call it Perfect Strangers? Or, you know, at least some play on it. Imperfect Strangers. More perfect, you know. 
A more perfect stranger. Strangely perfect. There you go. Yeah, something like that, I'm presuming. Um, is it on HBO? HBO Max. Oh, it will be an HBO Max It's show? an HBO Max exclusive, not going to regular HBO. Listen, one thing's for certain. With Black Lady Sketch Show and the Perfect Strangers reboot, HBO and HBO Max are in the Robin Thede business. They are. Mm-hmm. That's true. Um, coming up, we'll be talking In the Heights. Bitching the fuck out of shit. Just what you all wanted. Two white guys talking In the Heights. No one understands the Latinx experience of living in New York better than Hal Rudnick and Lon Harris. <laughs> uh, so, Lon, uh, we both Many watched. an afternoon I was out there sipping my piragua, <laughs> going to the local bodega. Lon, tell us about your time in the barrio. <laughs> Sharing my memories of the Dominican Republic. The DR in the, the DR. Heights on... HBO Max, uh, Lon and I both watched it, and we uh, did. Yeah, I enjoyed. I enjoyed the heck out of this uh, this movie. I thought it was a good time. Uh, it's uh, it's being hit with a couple of controversies. Can we let's listen. Don't do that. Let's let's talk about. I don't want to talk about the. I want to talk about first. Rita Moreno. <laughs> I want to talk about uh, the movie first, yes. and then we can do the. Here's what everybody's saying. But I'm. I, it bugs me that this movie is being. We're only allowed to have two conversations about this movie, and that's why didn't people go see it in the theater, and does it feature enough Afro-Latinx people in it? And I'm not saying they're not important conversations, folks. I'm not saying that. Yeah, but there are other important conversations. I I just like to talk about it as a movie first, and then we can talk about it, engage with that You know one thing that uh, I really liked about this movie— um, and, and I mean this in a, in a positive way, because if you're going to pull from something or uh, uh, borrow a little bit from something, then do it from the greats. And I felt like there was a lot of flavor and DNA of do the right thing in this movie, just as far as New York in the summertime and the neighborhood as a character, more or less, just the heat as something that informs what everyone's doing and the neighborhood and the DJ on uh, comparing that with the dispatcher in, in the Heights, the DJ and do the right thing. I thought there were a lot of parallels. You, you, you're, uh, you're making a face. You don't see that. Uh, it's a weird comparison on one level because do the right thing is, is a movie about the tension and the conflict and there is conflict in In the Heights. I'm not going to say there's Completely no Completely different in that regard, but I'm talking about- It's such, this movie is so celebratory. And Do the Right Thing is about the simmering, like just below the surface. Racial tension and- Yeah, yeah. and so it, on that level, like not that, like aesthetically and like, sure, it's the hottest day of the year in New York, this New York neighborhood, and you're you're all on these few streets. And I, I get- it's not that I don't get what you're saying. I just, it's almost more of like a visual metaphor. Tonally, no. But New York as a... Ba- not like do the right thing at all in terms of the movie watching experience is what I'm saying. But New York as a backdrop and set piece and I don't know, I mean, uh, and, the, sure. and the heat of New York in the summertime. Like West Side Story even would be another point of comparison for this. I don't know. Culturally, I would say West Side. I think when most people think of do the right thing, they think of like a guy throwing a trash can through a pizza shop's window. And like this movie is like they're dancing. Well, 
They're having a carnival de Del Mario. Yes, but in, in Do the Right Thing, they're- I can't believe this is the conversation we're having about Do the Right Thing. Is it like Do the Right Thing? And I'm not even, it's not even a knock. I just can't believe it. It's not where I saw this going. I, I see what you're saying. Tonally, completely different. But uh, the set pieces in in the Heights uh, remind me a little bit of just the way the city is shot in Do the Right Thing and the heat as this overwhelming force that uh, really colors the what the people's mindset are and what people are going through. I think there's absolutely a similarity there. You know what? I'm going to follow up with John Chu and Lin-Manuel Miranda on that. Yeah. Did you know, by the way, uh, in Do the Right Thing, or Ernest Dickerson, who was the, the cinematographer on that, mm -hmm. uh, sometimes under the camera, he would hold a lighter and just like let the butane run. And that's how, so they get that wavy heat lines on the screen. So that's why sometimes it even like looks like it's simmering like on camera. That's a cool Do the Right Thing fact. That's an awesome Do the Right Thing fun fact. And while I was watching this movie, I was thinking that the heat was brought across a little bit better. You were thinking, why the right aren't thing. there any photos of Afro-Latinx people on the wall at Sal's Famous? Where is Danny Aiello <laughs> and John Turturro? Listen, I, I don't have complicated, nuanced thoughts like uh, like those. I, I didn't go that far out. To me, this was just a delight. Like It felt like going to see a show on Broadway and mm -hmm. just like a big, colorful, sweeping spectacle. I mean, that's what the bummer of all of this. And I'm not trying to call the discussion about representation itself a bummer. Like, I want those people to have that conversation. I want all of us to have that conversation. I think that is an important thing, maybe not for me to talk about, right. but for, for people to talk about. But it bummed me out that none of the conversations I saw were just about how fun this was and how fun it was to watch and how, how well it works just as a singing and dancing movie, and especially at how amazing John Chu has gotten at filming these sequences. Like, he did a bunch of the Step Up movies. He's got experience doing big musical dance numbers, but this is, like, next level. Like, some of these big scenes are really amazing, like the way he's sort of choreographing them and blocking them and framing them and shooting them. It really does capture that energy of going to see like a Broadway production. Yeah, I thought it was super fun. I, I went in pretty cold, j just not knowing what the songs were going to be. I oh, didn't yeah. know if they were- Me neither. I, I, I knew nothing I, about this. <laughs> I didn't know if it was going to be straight up show tunes or what. You know, I should have guessed that there was going to be some hip hop inspired stuff, you know, coming from Lin-Manuel Miranda. And yeah. I was really delighted with so, I, I mean, especially like the hip hop moments, they like, there was, they were really fun and infectious. And then they did a nice job of making it feel like the real, very real city, but also with just a sprinkle of magic realism when you need right. it. And I really liked the very modern, realistic feel of the city, as opposed to it feeling too Broadwayified right. or anything. Yes, it still gets to feel gritty, like a real New York neighborhood, and not like uh, the set for a magical sort of show tune filled musical. And all of the actors in it were like really great. And then I was really delighted to see Jimmy Smits as. Uh, dad in the movie because yeah. you know jimmy smith he's just like an unsung hero he's always good whenever he shows up like i don't well and for people our age he got famous for being like a tv lawyer like yeah i don't think of him as a song and dance man yes. at all 
Yeah, but then oh, he brings it. He's great in this. Absolutely, he is down to clown. And uh, and then Olga Meredith, who's the she's the older actress who plays Abuela. She's been in like every iteration of In the Heights to date, and it's a. Uh, I'm so glad they didn't recast that role. You know, that's the sort of thing you feel like they will. They I didn't know that she was in the Broadway. She's the original Abuela Claudia, and fantastic. She won a Tony actually in 2008 for her role. There you go. So there you go. I like the moments of, you know, obviously it's uh, celebrating uh, Latinx culture and and the, the culture in the Heights, uh, Puerto Rican, Dominican, And, that, uh, and this is the crux of the, you know, I sort of forced you to gloss over it when we started off because I wanted to get... And, and you know, maybe for the best because um, I think it's worth singing... I wanted to get some of this other stuff out there. Yeah, no, it's, it's worth singing the praises of the movie because I feel like, yeah, right. we both... We both but this it. is the big boat of contention. It was brought up by uh, Felicia Leon in, in The Root and a few other writers that if you go to Washington Heights as a neighborhood today, most of the or a lot of the Latinx people who live there are black. They're not going to look very light skinned and European the way that, say, Lin-Manuel Miranda and a lot of the cast of this film does. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think people are rightfully saying, like, well, why aren't there more shades? This is a very diverse culture, people of all different colors, and why is the movie focused so much on the the light-skinned? And, of course, an important conversation. Maybe not one that Hal and I need to have, but yeah, an important I, conversation. Uh, not yeah. one that I'm suggesting be glossed over. I feel like just, you know, as, like, a couple of fucking middle-aged white dudes, there's a lot of stuff we don't realize, and a lot of, like, white folks don't realize that there are, like, so many nuances to culture because, you know, there are black people, there are black Americans, but there are Afro-Latinos and there are differences within the culture and yeah. there's pride within the culture and yeah. the representation. Well, Latino is particularly tough because this is where a lot of these racial distinctions just start to break down. I mean, yeah. you talk about people from a massive portion of the planet who don't feel like they're part of the same group, mm-hmm. even though Americans sort of try to group them together. Yeah. And, you know, that being said, I feel like there's good stuff happening in this movie, just like on, you know, the political spectrum. I I, I really enjoyed, you know, just the moments well, when they talked about dreamers. It's great that it exists, and it would be great if there were more movies. This is a huge chunk of the U.S. movie-going audience, mm-hmm. Spanish-speaking Latino people. Yeah. And it would be great if there were more movies that catered directly to them, as with all groups and large groups of people who go see movies in America. Like, it would be great if there were more movies speaking to all of these communities. Yeah, totally. And on that, we agree. Yes. Not on the do the right thing stuff so much, but I, on that, we agree. Go back and watch <laughs> the way the city's photographed. I wasn't saying that, yeah. Um, uh, I get what you say. I get what you say. Plus, Danny Aiello has a big solo number. So, I mean, right there. The, uh... <laughs> I love New York! More movies should give Danny Aiello. But Hudson Hawk gives him plenty of chances to sing. Also, I thought Hamilton was exactly like Spike Lee's The 25th Hour. <laughs> Lon, here's one weird thing where I was like, uh, okay, at the, at the moment, uh, at the moment at the end where, uh, you know, we're not spoiling anything here, but uh, the, the story is framed. By, oh, yes, I know exactly. Yeah, I understand. Okay, the, the, so the, uh, the, the film In the Heights is framed by Anthony Ramos, who is a freaking delight and uh, so good. Like. Yeah, yeah, very good. Very much talent. And uh, he's uh, talking to a group of children, including his uh, daughter, at this This island. framing device, by the way, not from the original show. This ah, was added for the film. At the island bar. 
I was going to mention the moment at the very end of the movie, I'm not spoiling anything, where the daughter looks around and sees all these little things that were mentioned. And yeah, it's usual like suspect a style of the usual suspects. <laughs> <laughs> I was expecting her to walk away and that with a limp that uh, slowly yeah, goes away. Yeah, no, he away. was like, listen, <laughs> Eha, I ever tell you about the time I was in a barbershop quartet in Skokie, Illinois? <laughs> He's just been making all that shit up, folks. There, no, there was no winning lottery ticket. Are you kidding? Also, do blackouts last as long as they did in that movie? Maybe the timing is off. Please write me angry tweets and let me know. I'm pretty sure this was inspired by that real New York blackout. That I'm assuming Lin-Manuel Miranda okay. lived through that. Remember, there was that one big For blackout that lasted like two days and people in Manhattan were all like hanging out on the street and it became like a block party vibe. Okay. I seem to recall this is a cultural moment in New York. I believe this was inspired by that. You know, you know another thing it reminded me of? Oh, boy. That Twilight Clockers. Zone. Clockers. Yes. That Twilight <laughs> Zone episode where the sun kept getting closer to New York. And uh-huh. Do you know that one? Yeah, I do. There are a lot of movies about it being the hottest day of the year in the big city. Like that, I feel like, like Die Hard with a Vengeance. Remember, that's the opening of that one, too, is it even opens with uh, Summer in the City. Uh, you yeah, know? what about that song, Hot Time, Summer in the City? That's the song that opens Die Hard with a Vengeance, where the back of his neck is getting dirt and gritty. I don't even know what yes. The Love and Spoonful, folks. That's the name of that band. This movie, it's it's a joy. Uh, it's worth <laughs> checking out. On it is. I, I really enjoy it. And also, like... A fun movie theater going experience. Did you see this in a theater? No, but every everyone, I've, like my <laughs> brother returned. Uh, friends of mine did. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm going to allow this. Okay. I, I have I have firsthand accounts. Mm-hmm. From, I did not. I watched this. I watched this in my home. I watched it in my home. But my my brother saw it in the theater, and he well, said it was I'll joyous. It. Okay, I'll accept. I'm gonna it. stop calling, uh, saying joyous over and over again. You know, <laughs> a we, joyous we, we, celebration of the human spirit. Before we move on to our next uh, topic, uh, uh, staying on in the heights, we have a binge boys exclusive. Lon. Oh my gosh, an exclusive. So there was a song from In the Heights, which is, you know, there, there's a lot of like hip hop and R&B in the Heights, uh, mm-hmm. in In the Heights. And uh, we got a an acapella unreleased without the backup, without the backing track. I'm not gonna tell you what means I came by this with, but wow. uh, I got this. I'm just gonna play it. This is an acapella uh, wound up on the cutting room floor. From the In the Heights mixtape. From the, the unreleased In the Heights mixtape. It, it was supposed to be in the movie, though. Right. I'm an old Jewish guy who lives in the Heights. I like my neighbors and enjoy the sights. I stop at the bodega to get a sandwich with a bacon and an egg. I buy a bottle of booze that I drink until I snooze. That's right, I black out, I sack out, I pass out. On the concrete, the main street, by your feet, I drink so much that my dick won't work. No matter how hard I pull, no matter how hard I jerk. I bought sex rhino 9000 boner pills at the bodega and it gave me a painful erection. My life, it made me question. Where is my direction? And then I got Bodega Boner Pills heart attack. What do they put in those boner pills? Sex Rhino 9000. What are in those boner pills? You know, that are by the cash register when you're checking out? What the hell is in those fucking boner pills? My heart. Oh, I'm lucky to be alive. And pause. 
Uh, obviously a great song. Infectious. A fucking banger. I just feel like it was maybe it, it, it just distracted from the overall theme. It, it, it feels a little disconnected from the rest of what's happening in In the Heights. Yeah. It almost feels like if the whole show was like Cats, where it was just customers coming in, introducing themselves to Uznavi, buying something in the store and leaving, mm-hmm. then that would have been a perfectly reasonable song. But as it is really not about the old Jewish man who lives in Washington Heights and his uh, inability to get an erection. I mean, maybe in the, like, you know, we got the Snyder cut, maybe the boner pill cut. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Erectile dysfunction. He suffers from erectile dysfunction. I mean, I think it's a whole potential Mm -hmm. storyline there. I, you know, I'm, I'm all for it. In the Heights is in the theaters and on the HBO Max, as we said. And there's a million dames he hasn't done, but just you wait. I just say, can we? Yes. The song's good. Not not as good as Hamilton. Can I can I throw that out there? Oh yeah, because I'm not like I don't remember them that great. Oh, uh, the the Piragua, the Piragua one that Manuel Miranda sings got stuck in my head yes. pretty bad. I mean, they're not. And that no, 9600 is a good song where they're they're all talking about what they would do. The, that's the one at the pool where they're all talking about what they would do with the money. Yes. They're good songs. It's not that Hamilton thing where you're relentlessly singing them a week later, even though you're not even thinking about Hamilton. It's not I, that level. I of agree. Crazy. But, uh, you know, that being said, I was absolutely vibing with them. And and the the rap and hip hop felt more like rap and hip hop than I expected like I, th- I felt like, oh, we're gonna get the show tuny version, but no, it was it was really cool and fun, good stuff. Moving on, we teased it at the top, and now we're gonna get right into it. Infinite on Paramount Plus, Mark Wahlberg, Chiwetel Ejiofor, uh, Toby Jones, others. Lon. Toby Jones barely even feels like worth mentioning. Like I, one scene, shoot him with some fucking arrows, yes. get him out of here. Poor Toby Jones. Okay, so this film is fucking weird and um and oh my god, it's fucking bonkers. Very not great. It's Uh, well, here's the thing: there's so many movies like this now where it's like they spend the whole movie just explaining it to you, and it never gets good. Like it never gets cool. It's just like if it requires this much explanation, just fucking don't bother. Like write something else that requires less explanation. Yeah. What what was that one with Frank Grillo that we watched? Uh, boss level. Boss level. Yeah, that was- that one required almost no explanation. It's like gets up every day. People try to kill him. Go. Oh no! But the <laughs> the machine, like the the time travel <laughs> device that he blew up. Like- right. It got it got way down eventually. But like, but no. But this one, you never even get to the shooting. It's literally just. Oh, well, there's, it's, you, you see, there's two opening voiceovers. You get two different, <laughs> we're in a world made up of people who can't be killed. And then there's another one, like, I'm a schizophrenic. Like, no, you're not. You're contradicting the other voiceover we already heard. The hell is wrong with you? The opening action sequence was so bonkers. First off, we find out more about this wound that he has. This wound that the main character back in time has is bonkers, like just more so, so crazy, like impossible. You you are committing suicide with this wound. But we're, we're in a world where we're introduced 
So a small portion of humanity, they don't just die. When they die, their soul and their brain and everything, their mind transfers into a baby. And then they grow up. And by the time they're in like adolescence, they like remember and realize, oh, I'm being constantly reincarnated. Mm -hmm. And they like resume their old life or whatever. So they're they're functionally living forever, just jumping into new bodies every time their old body dies. And there's two warring groups of them. One that just wants to keep reincarnating forever. And one that's like, fuck reincarnating. I'm going to destroy the whole world instead of ever having to reincarnate it's again. It's kind of like a vampire who wishes they could die, but they... Kind of. But that that's already complicated. That's just the very beginning. Yes. They're like, oh, but also they have a gun that can store your brain in a microchip so that you live in, like, digital purgatory forever. Like Your brain oh. or steal your... or pull your soul out. Right. Or, but then there's also like, oh, and some of these people also have learned how to control the environment, basically have the force now for no good reason. They're totally killable. They're killable, but then they introduce the idea that some of them have the force. Yeah. And then they introduce the idea that Chiwetel Ejiofor, his brain and memories don't come back in adolescence. They come back like immediately. Like he's he's a a tiny fetus in his mother's womb. And all of a sudden he's just like, full-grown Chiwetel Ejiofor's mind. And, like, that doesn't make any fucking sense. And, like, it just keeps doing this. Like, every time you're like, okay, I get what this is now, they're like, nope, that's just the beginning. Like, here's another. It's like infinite one through 12, but they put all the stories in one movie. And these guys are killable, these infinites. But then, like, Mark Wahlberg falls off a building and lands on the roof of a car where I've seen... People die from that in movies a lot, and he's perfectly fine. So Chiwetel Ejiofor, his whole goal, he's like, I'm sick of reincarnating. Mm-hmm. This is bullshit. I, I just want out. I don't I just want to I don't want to be born again. I just want to go away. Yep. But he also owns a gun that if you shoot somebody with it, it downloads their brain onto a microchip and mm-hmm. then they stop reincarnating because they're stored on this microchip. Yes. Why not just shoot himself and then have somebody or have somebody, one of your underlings shoot you and then just smash the microchip. So, yeah. Or hit the microchip with a very powerful magnet. Yeah, that's it. Because if you don't plug the microchip into anything, your soul is stored there. You don't reincarnate anymore. You're dead. You know what? M- movie's over. Boom. That's it. Roll credits. Also, like the expanse of their armies, like how big or how secret are they or how out there are they? Yeah. Like, did you notice that the good guy infinites had branding on all of their shit? Yeah. The car that the lady infinite shows up in has the infinite logo on the seats and then their plane, their private plane had, yeah. had the infinite logo. So they're out there, but then they're also secret. And that, but then they're amazing, just beautiful and then technologically enhanced base is the easiest, it's the easiest place to break into. But they're also, they're setting up like the infinites, like they're so technologically superior. And at first you're like, okay, well they're, they've been alive for a thousand years, but it's like, well, wait, why would being alive for a thousand years make you better at designing technology? Like, right. like if you were alive in the 1300s, that that's not going to make you smarter about building drones. Yeah. Right? It's going to make you smarter about, like, phalanx formation or fucking whatever. Like, 
whatever shit they were doing. You're going to know how to make a fresca, but you're not going to know how to, like, do modern shit. Like, doesn't make any fucking sense. At least in the old guard, which kind of said, like, they're immortal warriors. Right. At least that was, like, they're experts in, like, Rodan and Baklava. Like, they know Mm -hmm. a lot about the ancient world because that's where they spent all their time. This movie is like, well, of course they would have 22nd century tech because they've been alive since the Mongol invasions. Like, that doesn't make any fucking sense. Yeah, a lot of inexplicable stuff. Also, this weapon that Chiwetel Ejiofor wants to destroy humanity with. Yeah. They, they have like a, a, a virtual uh, sequence where they take Mark Wahlberg into what would happen if that occurred. And it's just the, the snap from Thanos. <laughs> yeah, they all kind of get ashed. Yeah. Let me ask you this one. If you and I were in a meeting and I was like, okay, here's my idea. Mm-hmm. So there's a bunch of uh, awesome Asian martial artists and then their soul is reborn inside um, Mark Wahlberg. And so Mark Wahlberg is a is a brilliant Asian martial artist walking around. And then Mark Wahlberg dies and, and his soul goes into a, an Asian boy. If I was like pitching you that, you think maybe you'd be like, should we not have Mark Wahlberg basically playing an Asian? Wahlberg middleman. Can, yeah, we, should, can we get somebody we else, maybe Wahlberg? an Asian person? Yeah. To be the repository of Asian wisdom and knowledge throughout yes. the centuries? The, the martial artist who was also a Japanese uh, samurai sword craftsman. Yeah, have to be the master bladesmith who's the repository of a thousand years of Chinese wisdom. Do, do, does, that, does that have to be Mark Wahlberg? Does it, does it really... Have to be Mark Wahlberg. Fucking Mark Wahlberg. No, no fan to of the of the Asian cultures. Mark uh, Wahlberg. No, um, not not a huge hero to the Asian American community. Yes, especially the Vietnamese community of Boston. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm saying. Yep, it's a little, um, it's weird. Oh, and I was confused when. Uh, the, so there's a huge action set piece that happens uh, when Mark Wahlberg gets broken out of a a police station, and and this is in the trailer. Uh, I couldn't tell for almost the entirety of that piece until, like, they got outside and everything, whether um, Chiwetel Ejiofor, who was in a truck, and the woman who was in the car with Wahlberg were together or against each other. It's odd, too, because Antoine Fuqua, a capable action director, like, that was my thought going in, was like, well, maybe, it, you know, because the word... Obviously, if they're dumping this on Paramount Plus, it was supposed to be a big summer movie. That's not a good sign. Mm-hmm. So obviously, you kind of went in knowing maybe this was going to be a, a, a troubled shooter. Yeah. But it does at least seem like we'll get a few decent action scenes out of it because Antoine Fuqua was behind and the camera. And we really didn't. <laughs> and we really do not. No, it's it's not it's not even satisfying as an action film. There's a lot of stuff that's like, oh, kind of a forgettable movie. But you walk away and there's like, oh, there was some good action. What was the Michael B. Jordan one uh, with the from Tom Clancy? Oh, without remorse. Without remorse. Like, a fairly forgettable movie, but with a couple of really good action sequences in it. This, forgettable, Forgettable, bad, no no good action, confusing action. Basically, these two vehicles, 9-11 to police station, and then you, you figure you call out every cop and helicopter and everything. They got away. Fine. They just got away. It just wants them to be superheroes, yeah. very badly. It just wants them to be like the Avengers and do shorthand. Like, well, now, so, so, yeah, you, you just kind of got to assume. Well, they, they've been alive for so long. 
They just know how to do everything. They know they're better at everything. They know how to get away. They know they have every secret. They're every lever of power. Mm -hmm. And it's like at a certain point, it's just like not even interesting. It's like, well, okay, so they could do anything. They could be anything. They can be anywhere. And the rules change. There's no rules to this world. Jason Manzukis was fun in this movie. I will say that for, for eh, moments. It's just, it's so easy to just be like, do your thing. Like he's yeah. got his thing that he does. Mm-hmm. And obviously he's a very funny person. Yes. But this kind of feels like they just put him in there and they're like, go Manzukis, go do it. Yeah, go be eccentric. Yeah, he's Yeah, like he's there's eccentric. no thought behind it. Do you remember that scene where, uh, okay, so everyone went down in the secret elevator and um, the big Viking guy was left to kind of uh, create a distraction for them. Yeah, um, yeah, he's gonna he's gonna he, give them a time. Um, spoilers or whatever, but he he wipes out an army of black ops dudes. No, he gets killed. He's just buying them time. No, but did you see he wiped out that army of black ops dudes? I, he dies in the battle, though, right? That's his no, last he, scene he in gets the movie. Killed, yeah, he gets killed by Chiwetel Ejiofor in that right. scene. Yeah, so he, he he slows him down, yeah. You didn't see what kind of weapon he was. I guess he was he found a machine gun. I don't know, but it was it was confusing. Yeah, it's none of it. Nothing links up neat. Uh, listen, I'm the fool cuz I'm trying to make sense of the nonsensical. <laughs> yeah. It's it's all just bananas. Also, we mentioned that Chiwetel Ejiofor, he got waterboarded with gasoline. And yeah. later, he sort of waterboards Toby Jones with honey. Yeah, he does. That's just something that happened. Also, they're trying to stop Chiwetel Ejiofor from getting away on a plane. And instead of sending the guy who's flying a Tomahawk helicopter, they send Mark Wahlberg on a motorcycle to stop a plane. Yeah, you know, like you did. Because that's what I mean. Like, at a certain point, it's just like, okay, go, you're an Avenger. Just go be... Do do Captain America things. And it's like, the the setup isn't really that kind of a movie. It's it's very confusing. Oh, and uh, one more fun fact. Antoine Fuqua's daughter, Asia Fuqua, sings the song over the end credits. Really? I did not know that. So a nice little nepotism uh, moment there. Antoine giving his daughter a nice little little moment. Are you bitter you wanted to sing the infinite theme song? It was going to be about an old Jew buying boner pills, but then they were like, let's go a different way. What does Asia Fuqua have? And that infinite boners song. Yeah. About Sex Rhino 9000. Yeah. It was left once again on the cutting room floor. An ode to priapism from Hal Redman. Infinite is available on Paramount+. Plus. Oh, and then we watched uh, a, a serial killer flick, a horror movie that is available on Netflix right now, The Clove Hitch Killer. Lon, you recommended The Clove Hitch Killer? And uh, you know what? I, I enjoyed it. I really liked the piece. Yeah. I really like the pacing of this movie. It's a movie that would usually be written if you had come up with this movie as a twist movie, Mm -hmm. but it's not a twist movie. Mm -hmm. It's what if we gave you the twist right away and it's just about the characters coming to terms with the twist, like like coming to a point. Because I can even tell you, because I don't think this I don't think it's a violation to say the movie is about a young man who slowly begins to realize that his father just might be the serial killer who's been stalking his hometown since before he was even born. And it's not about the revelation about his father. It's about, well, what would you do if you started to think that? You can't prove it. Mm -hmm. 
But how would you, would you just ignore it? Would you start to investigate it? And it, I like that the movie just kind of sits in that world and thinks about that. Yeah, and, and it causes you to maybe doubt for a moment, but then, yeah, it was, uh, it doesn't really, uh, or try to uh, snooker you or, or trick you or anything. It's not, yeah, it's not treating it as like a suspense thing. Like, oh, maybe, maybe not. Like, it's not trying to like, mess with you about whether or not he did it. It's trying to, it's like a character study of like, how would this emotionally affect you if you really did start to believe this? And in the climactic moments, I liked the time construction, how they took you up to a point, they stop, and then they go back and show you what happened without giving anything away. And Dylan McDermott, uh, not to be confused with uh, Dermot Mulrooney, which I've made, I've been I've made that um, snafu before, but uh, he was great. Uh, he was just yeah. He he's was, he's he was the a, dad, and and it's it would be so tempting to turn up like the malice, you know, like you get to play. He's obviously like suburban good guy dad in the beginning, mm-hmm. scout leader and whatever. Yeah, and uh, he really resists the urge to make it like deliciously evil. Like he keeps it very like bland. You know, like it's it's not emotional for this guy. Uh, you know, the son finds evidence all along the way, but when they show him, um, like going into like deeply bizarre behavior, like that scene was like it went from zero to sixty. You know what I mean? But palatable uh, as just as far as like the construction of the. No, I, I'm not you talking found about the, movie. the behavior. Yeah, about, but it made, made me want to try it myself. I was like, oh, okay. I mean, I'll get back to you. I'm going to- This is uh, how we find out. Uh, you know, this is- this is Just as far, it didn't feel like too much all of a sudden. It felt like we were primed and ready and the film just started to deliver, uh, like, yeah, morbid, horrific stuff for the most part. And- That, that you heard it here first, folks, that, that we found very palatable. Yeah, really great build. And uh, a, a fun little movie from uh, yeah. IFC Pictures uh, from 2018, The Clove Hitch Killer. And that's, uh, yeah, that's on uh, Netflix now. Also, uh, it took me back to my time in the Boy Scouts. Mm-hmm. I will say, though, that uh, I, I guess it's for copyright purposes. Uh, for all intents and purposes, these were the Boy Scouts of they America. They just called them Scouts. But yeah, no, nope, they not- called them range. They were called Rangers. Ah, okay. And uh, if you read that, what it said on their shirt, where it would say Boy Scouts of America or Boy Scouts, it's something Rangers. And then, like they, and they did some subtle replacements. Like they had merit, ba- they had badges and things. But in the Boy Scouts, you have something called the Order of the Arrow. And in this movie, it was the Order of Light. So you enjoyed its insider scout shoutouts. Oh, I was like. To, uh, taking me back to canoe. How's going to pick up on your on your scouting Easter eggs, folks? That's oh, why he's if you're here. shouting scouting. I will pick it up. <laughs> That's our other podcast, shouting scouting. Yes. Uh, well, Orlan and I go camping. <laughs> the Clove Hitch Killer is available on Netflix. Lon, you know what? We've talked enough about movies and uh, programs. I think uh, let's call it a day. Enough for one week at least. Jeez. Shout out to Owl Nation. Hoot hoot. Everybody, where my gahooligans at? Uh, big thanks to Starburns uh, Audio, Starburns Industries, Travis Reeves, our super producer, taking care of business. Thank you, Travis, and for handling that moment where I went to get my dog, among other things. It's not like it's a big deal for me or Travis. I just want to emphasize that 
It's not like I'm very put out by Millie Care. We all love Millie Care. Oh, no, here. you're a dog owner yourself. I, I It's purely that. the, what, Lon, are you crazy? Why would I go get Millie right now? We're about to record a podcast. That's totally unnecessary. No, you're ab- it's just that part. You're absolutely makes me right. Feel like I'm, make me feel like I'm out of my mind, like I'm Audrey Hepburn wandering <laughs> around this mansion noticing that something's not quite right. Uh, it's a reference what, what, to the to the classic film Gaslight, from which the uh, from which the term gaslighting is. Taken. Oh, nicely done, Lon. Nicely done. I see what you did there. Uh, truth be told, Millie has been a very good girl for this entire podcast, sitting on my lap after I went and got her. Jason K, thank it's Ingrid you for- Bergman. It's not Audrey Hepburn. That was my mistake. I I uh, knew at the moment I said it, and then I figured you were going to bust me, and then you didn't. Uh, Ingrid Bergman is in Gaslight. Nineteen forty four is Gaslight. That was a self bust. A self bust. Oh, like oh, bringing boy. yourself to uh, climax, a self bust. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Jason K, for the rock and roll <laughs> that starts off the show. Lon Harris, tell them where they can find you. It's because her her husband is trying to make her think that she's losing her mind, and so he keeps like slowly manipulating things in her environment, including the strength or the brightness of the gas lamps, and hence the term gaslighting. That's that's it's a it's Ingrid Bergman. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at L-O-N-S. Uh, that's the best place to keep up with everything I am working on and all of my thoughts on classic 1944 films. Uh, you can also check out my newsletter. It is free. It is five days a week. Inside.com slash streaming. And we cover everything going on on streaming TV. Thank you, Lon. And you can find me at Hal Rutnick, H-A-L-R-U-D-N-I-C-K, on uh, Twitter and Instagram and uh, follow me on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Hal Rudnick. And this weekend, uh, we are having our show Tournament of Nerds. It's a super fun comedy debate show. And one of our special guests, Mr. Lon Harris. Hey, I'll be judging, right? I don't yes, have to sir. do comedy. I just judge other people's comedy. Oh, but um, your gems will be spilling from your mouth. <laughs> sure. No, of course. I'm just saying. I, I don't. I don't have to do stuff. I just have to be like, "You're funny." That's it. You will be judging, Love it. Perfect. With, hopefully, with a firm yet fair hand. And uh, yeah, so check that out if you want to. Also, if you're feeling frisky, please leave us a kind five star review on iTunes. And uh, otherwise, we'll talk to you next time. Bye bye. Bitch boys, bitch boys, bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys, bitch boys, bitch boys, bitch in the fuck out of shit.